What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, you guys? Welcome to The Know. I am your hostess, Nikki Spo, and I am so glad that you're here. The Know is not about knowing everything. It's about knowing ourselves. Yep, we are in the pursuit of finding and celebrating our deepest inner knowing so we can live our most intentional lives. Don't miss a beat. Hit subscribe so The Know episodes are automatically downloaded and you get those fun banners every time I drop a new episode, which if you didn't know, is every Tuesday. That's my plug. Subscribe to my Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube channels or wherever you are listening to your podcasts. And if you are loving what you hear, it would mean the world to me if you were to rate the show and leave a review. I am really excited about today's guest one of the most intelligent and creative humans I know, and my former work neighbor and my general consultant of all things education when I was a new teacher, my good friend, 2021 Teacher of the Year, George Ovalle. George, or Mr. Ovalle to his students, is a graduate of FIU like your girl with a degree in English and education and has been an educator in the city of Miami for over a decade in both public and private schools. He currently teaches drama and English literature at the high school level and, if you didn't hear me the first time, was awarded the 2021 Teacher of the Year Award. George is the co-creator and host of the podcast Searching for MacGuffin, where he discusses the driving force behind the stories depicted in art, media, and life while in search for meaning and purpose. In this episode, you know, while we'll definitely talk about education, which is so important to me and and so many other parents that I know, we will also be talking about mental health, spirituality, and what I am most interested in is how George is sharing the MacGuffin through his podcast. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation with George about, yeah, MacGuffin in film, art, and media, but really how we are all searching for our own MacGuffin, the driving force behind our stories, our why. So without further ado, let's get started with George Ovalle. George, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to be on my show where we like pride ourselves on not knowing everything, but at least knowing ourselves. Yeah. Or at (laughs) least on the journey to know ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. So I already gave my intro about who you are and what we are going to talk about today. Um, but I want to give, I want you to give us and the listeners a little background on yourself, like where you're from and all that jazz. I was born in New York City. Um, yeah. and I was there for uh, my very younger years, but very early on, uh, we moved here where I'm from, Miami, Florida. And I grew up most of that adolescent youth really digesting um art media tv movies music i was just drawn to it i i grew up in a home that really prided 
uh, themselves on this kind of media. My father was a film director in school. Um, he left that to, you know, kind of uh, work a more blue collar job to help us get ahead. But it always that passion was instilled in me. And a big part of why I think I was drawn to that is to kind of like escape the realities of life. For me, that fantasy, the those stories that were told, they drew me in and I was able to exist somewhere else, even if it was just for 22 minutes or an hour and a half, whatever it may be, just reading, watching, or listening to the stories of others, uh, things they've experienced or things that we couldn't even imagine to experience. I don't, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that I've shared this with you, but like my family was really similar. Like I learned how to paint when I was really young and like they were all about, like we would make these, we called them like cranking movies. We'd like get a cut up box and like we would do like a, like one of those movies where you like drop in the, the artwork and you tell the story and then you, you shift it out and you create like a plot and, you know, so like that was a really big part of my childhood too. And I feel like I can relate to the whole like escapism element of it. So, you know, I've talked pretty openly about like what I was trying to escape. Um, and I don't, there's, there's other episodes for the listeners who want to, who want to tap into that, but what realities were you escaping? I mean, I came up with a very, a very stern environment, a lot of expectations, um, how to act, how to speak, when to speak, when not to speak. Most of the time it was when not to speak. Um, you know, You're very old school. Yes. Very old like school. Kids father, should be seen and not heard. Yes, absolutely. My, my father was, had me really late in life. It was a second marriage. Um, so I, I was born and they were already past middle age. So by the time I'm getting into my, you know, my adolescent years, my teen years, um, it's been a long, arduous road. And those expectations were perhaps passed down from another generation. And I just felt like I couldn't be myself. Um, there was a lot of expectations. In your home. Yeah. Any, anywhere in my home, um, in school, in church, and a lot of societal expectations in all my different, you know, communities. Areas of life. Yeah. All the different areas of life. Absolutely. So this was the one place where like I could have a notebook and I could just write. I could just write poetry. I could write stories. I could draw. I could listen to music and I could, I could just escape those kind of things. Just the pressure of being, of trying to be someone that, that I was being expected to be rather than the person that I was. I can't even like, that's, that's the soundbite, right? Like the pressure of being. And I think we mm -hmm. all struggle with that. Like today, even like not, maybe not all of us, like the people who are doing the inner knowing work and all that stuff that like we're coming to learn ourselves and everything. But I, I've been there, like the pressure to just be like to exist the way you are and like having people not accept that or want you to be a different way and how that can affect our mental health, especially when those pressures have been put on us by our parents, right? And the people who are supposed to love us. And, and I think it, it keeps going, especially it's so difficult early on because we're still trying to figure out who we are yeah. and what we what we want to be. So we're kind of placing our hope in the future, but it doesn't stop as we progress through our lives because the expectations just change. Um, there's expectations placed on us at work. There's expectations that our spouses have. There's expectations that um, our children have as people when we eventually get, uh, if we get those opportunities 
And we just kind of have to realign our perception of being as we move through that journey. Like I've had a hard time with it, like through the years, like I've always, I actually saw something recently that talked about like the pressures, especially for women, like what women are supposed to be. And, but you know, a lot more, George, we're, we're learning a lot about like the pressures that are put on men too. Like, don't cry, don't have feelings, don't do this. Right. Women get a lot of like, be quiet, be pretty, be an accessory, an accessory. Don't have a voice, you know? And I think, fortunately, I th- I think that our society, we're becoming a lot more open and we're having these conversations just like you and I are doing now. So it's good to see. I wish it had happened be- earlier in time, like before our parents' generation, because you touched on something that it's generational. And I really do believe that, that it's passed down. Our way of being is passed down from our parents and their parents and so on and so forth. I don't know what it's like to be a woman, so to speak, but- uh, right? <laughs> but- for example, listening to your show has been illuminating because you get that perspective, not just from yourself, but from your guests as well. And having those conversations, um, you start to understand the experiences that you don't go through and start to relate to something that you didn't understand. But also you see the commonality in the universal experience. And for me growing up, it was the expectations, like you said, to be a man, but when you're inundated with the arts, you love painting, you love music, you love writing. Those aren't really typical, especially when I was growing up, things that you were pushed to do as a young boy growing up. Which is so crazy, George, because like, right, so it's like not a masculine thing, right? Like it's not quote unquote masculine to do those things, but then you look at like all the successful artists, right? Like, and how hard it was for like women to break into the arts and into film and into everything, all of it. Right. So it's such like a, I don't know if a catch 22 is the appropriate term here, but it's like, it's not encouraged. Yeah. But then all the successful people happen to be not all, but you know what I mean? Like they're mostly men. Yeah. It's like the value system becomes inverted. And then there's that, there's, that also leads to a pressure to succeed because you're not allowed to like this or be good unless you're the absolute best at it. Totally. Yeah, like, I can totally get that. Like you're not right. If you're going to George Ovaya, if you're going to pursue like writing and poetry, you better, you better believe that you've got to be the best. Mm-hmm. Cause then it's okay to do it. Right. It's okay if you're, if you're to write or to act or to whatever it is that your passion is only if you're the absolute best and you're amazing of it. Cause then you'll be above criticism, which we know is, isn't even true itself. Well, you know, and it reminds me, it takes me back to our teaching days, which I want to, we're going to get to obviously, but it takes me back to like, remember, do you, I'm sure you still have this today, like kids who didn't study for a test, right? They're like, they have the excuse. So when they fail the test, they're like, oh, but I didn't study anyway. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, but I didn't study anyway. Where it hurts so much more if you actually studied so hard and then you got a C, right? Because then you feel bad about yourself. It's like, how many people are we disservicing by, by putting these, um, I don't know if it's gender roles or what specifically it is, but these expectations of what people should and shouldn't pursue. I, I think it's, it, gender does play a part in it. Absolutely. And I just think it's overall just these kind of like success requirement. And to say that if you don't succeed, then it's not worth doing. It's like you said, we're robbing opportunities, not just of success, but perhaps even of failures, but growth. I can't know whether I'm going to be good at something unless I try it. And even if I'm not good at it, it still might bring meaning. It might be, it might be something insightful 
or it might be something that I have to work on and eventually find a role in my life because I truly believe that we're a composite of our experiences and we're a composite of what we put our energy to. And sometimes it's okay to be okay at something if it gives your life meaning and purpose. Oh my gosh. That's like, that's how I feel about my podcast. I don't know if like where I am on like the spectrum of like podcasters, but like, I remember thinking like, oh my God, what if I suck? Like, what if I'm terrible? Like I did a whole podcast on like why I was scared of starting a podcast, right? Like I just didn't even, I I was so, I would be so mortified if I did it and I was just terrible and people were like, oh, she sucks. She's so bad, you know? But, and like, I go back and I listen to like preliminary episodes, like some of the earlier work that I've done. And I'm like, but guess what? Like I've been able to grow and learn from that. And I could tell you today that like, if like I could not get paid to do this and I would do it still, you know what I mean? And like, I love doing it. I feel like it's helping people in some capacity and it really brings a lot of meaning to my life. I'm I'm sure you went through some similar um, experiences or feelings when you're like trying to start a podcast because starting anything new is scary. Yeah. I I think it's in all facets of my life. Um, You talked about mental health, you know, that struggle. And I know a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome. You know, I can be a celebrated teacher. I can have this show that I do week in and week out. And I think that almost every morning I wake up and I'm like, am I going to be good at this? And the more that I do it, the more that I understand that I'm growing and getting better at who I am at my core. And I'm not defined by these things that I do, but they definitely give me meaning and purpose. And I can say that I'm at least a pretty decent teacher. I'm a pretty decent conversationalist. (laughs) But the fact that I keep at it, I know that when I have that struggle mentally between, am I just, should I just stop doing this? Like, does anyone want to hear me? Does anyone want to learn from me? Does anyone want to see me? I know that it's not for others in a sense, it's for myself, but also being able to interact, reach out, communicate with others. It also gives me a sense that if you can inspire one person to pick up that mic or, or to read that book or to, you know, perform that play, whatever. Write a line of poetry. Yeah, absolutely. Then, then I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. And I think that's what others did for me when I was growing up and to just give back a little bit of that. uh, It's meaningful. So the soundbite that I'm getting here is like, and that just like hit home for me is you said, I'm getting better at who I am at my core every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, so amazing, you know, and I, I like think about mental health and like all the ways, George, that I used to feel about myself when I made mistakes. Like I thought I was just so unforgivable, right? Mm-hmm. Like I thought people would never forgive me. I thought that I wasn't worth receiving forgiveness. Do you remember like back in the day when we were both teachers, I used to say, I'm not worth anything. Like I'm not yeah. worth, this is so crazy. Like it's going to sound totally batshit like no. to the listeners that I was like, no, nobody deserves anything. Nobody deserves yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I absolutely remember. I oh remember where we were. I remember the room. I can visualize it right I now. I can visualize was, it too. Yeah. But I, lit- I, just, I legit thought like people are undeserving. Like I went through that weird darkness in my yeah. life where I was just like, I don't deserve love. I don't deserve forgiveness. You know, all these things. And it took a lot for me to personally to grow through that and realize that like, I of course I deserve, of course I deserve yeah. those things. And I I, I'm learning I still. If, I don't know if you remember what I told you that day. 
Do you remember? What did you tell me? I mean, you said I so many things. Like you, like you're, you're like the most inspiring person I know. So like, which what part? I remember the the through line for me was, you do deserve. You do deserve love. You do deserve respect. You did as a child, and you do today. And I think if we can impart that to the people in our lives that we love them and we accept them for who they are, even in their brokenness, even in their highest achievement that we can love them and that they're deserving of that love, that's not everybody gets that message and it's invaluable. Yeah. And if you can internalize that and understand that, it'll help you march through the darkness. I don't think the darkness ever goes away, or at least I haven't experienced it. There's going to be those bouts, but I think as long as you're growing and as long as you're listening, then you can find the strength to keep pushing forward. First of all, I just got like kind of emotional when you were saying that, but it's like I heard and I heard this quote once and it's I mess everything up, but it was like, I reserve the right to be wrong. No, that was actually right. I didn't mess it up. That's that's the quote. (laughs) I reserve the right to be wrong. Yeah. Like and make mistakes and like go through it. And, you know, it's something I've been thinking about a lot is like no one is bigger than God, right? Like we talk about spirituality, like nobody is bigger than God. And I know that God sees my my essence of who I am, my core of who I am. And God, the God of my understanding forgives my mistakes and allows me grace, right? Gives me that grace to grow and make changes and learn. God uh, gives us the insight to forgive ourselves. And I think that's even more freeing. Yeah. um, Because it's great to be forgiven, Mm -hmm. um, especially if, if that comes from, you know, whatever concept you have of above. But to be able to internalize that and to understand that for oneself to move forward. Like, like I said, I think it's, it's invaluable. Yeah. I think that when we have compassion with ourselves, it makes us a thousand percent, like just way more compassion, compassionate towards other people. Yeah. Um, I wish I had learned these things when I was a teacher because I probably would have been a lot more of a compassionate teacher, (laughs) you know, back then and like had, had a lot more empathy and that's not to say that I don't think I did. I think I did to an extent, but I mean, even as a parent, like I've learned a lot, you know, mm-hmm. like, and being able to forgive myself and then have t- tolerance for other people. I remember having the reputation um, back then of being like the authoritarian in yeah. the classroom. You had it too. Yeah. It was like that hallway was the hallway of fear. Because <laughs> they're like, you're going to come, you're going to come to work. You're going to stay on point. And especially when you're starting off, like we were at the time, mm-hmm. um, you need that. You need that yeah. in order to c- create control. Well, survival like, too for new teachers. Yes, absolutely. It's like if you don't demand respect, then you won't get it given to you. Especially but, in an inner city school, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think, like you said, over the years, I've grown softer. Yeah. And sometimes I even question maybe too soft because I don't care so much about the achievement, which sounds weird, Right but I care more about the person. And I've torn up the methodology. I've torn, torn up the, the plan book, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, over the years to try to find like, okay, what is relevant now? Where yeah. can I reach these group of students where they are right now? And that's kind of hard to like rewrite over and over again. Every year and like yeah. every class and you have like six different classes that you're teaching and yeah. multiple subjects that you're teaching. So what made you decide that you wanted to become a teacher? I didn't at first. Um, I wanted to be a journalist. 
That was my passion in high school. I was pretty sure this is what I'm going to do. Then I got it in my head. I had to make more money than that. So I start. I looked for a career. So you worked. That, to, you looked to be a teacher. No, no. First, I decided to go study something that was not my passion. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So I went to pursue, um, you know, a career um, in specifically in pre dental, which I was like, I don't like people's mouths, but I like <laughs> money. I guess those are the expectations. I'm supposed right. to be affluent. Um, right. th- then I came across. I'm supposed chem- to be affluent. Yeah. Oh then I came, God. then I came across chemistry and I was like, I don't like this or <laughs> I don't think I can do it. Um, but at the same time, I actually had a teacher I was taking, you have to take English no matter what, right? In university. Mm-hmm. So I was taking yeah. my regular English classes and I came across a teacher that really brought the content to life, you oh. know? So much of what we do in this life is the grind and in college it was no different. And you're just doing classes just to get grades, just yeah, to right. get ahead. Right, right. But his class was something that gave me something to look forward to. And I thought, if you could teach it this way, I could do this, you know. And I ended up in programs where I was doing like after school care and then eventually even like a little drama club just to pay my way through college. And I thought I could just do this like every day. And I decided to take a step the other way. Uh, You know what? Money's not everything. Um, we're notoriously underpaid. Everybody knows that, but you know what? I'm going to go to education. I'm going to do what I'm seeing is effective here because if you can make that connection with someone and inspire them to pursue whatever it is that they want to pursue, then I want to be a part of that. I want to be able to connect with someone the way that this teacher connected with me. And it's a long game too, right? Like a lot of the times you don't even know if you're like, if it's hitting, right? You're like, yeah. I have no idea if they're absorbing what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, woo, could go right over their head. And I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this too. And that you've continued teaching is that people come around and they tell you the impact that you, that you had on them. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you don't see it for like years. years. Yeah. Right. Like, after they graduate, like way after. And sometimes you don't know, you send them off on their way and then that's the last. And there's just ships off in across the world and the universe. But I think always whenever I'm down, whenever I'm like, I don't know if I can keep doing this because it is hard and it's it is hard. tough. Yeah. And I don't know if it's worth, you know, all the time and all the effort. Someone always comes along. A student always comes along either from my past or reaches out in my class. Hey, how can I learn more about this? How can I do this? How can I pursue this? I'll get a, a student in, you know, in my drama program who's like, how can I do this after I'm done graduating? You know, mm. whether that means engaging in local theater or actually, you know, pursuing it as a career. And that that inspires me. Like if if they need me to push them along that way, wow. then I guess I still got to keep being here. Everyone is different. Every class is different. And you're like, it's just not hitting on all cylinders here. A student will come and be like, hey, can we do this? Hey, yeah. can we read this? Question, right. And it'll be, and my answer is always like, yeah, why not? Like, you know, let's blow it up. Let's rethink this whole thing. And yes, it's more time. Yes, it's more effort. But you know what? You're going to enjoy it more and I'm going to enjoy it more. And I think we're going to be better off because of it. This conversation is so good. But before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe sauna is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, sauna's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. 
Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The ELA, the English Language Arts, English Lit, that was inspired by your college professor. Yeah. And the drama? The drama's just always been a passion for me. Like you said, a lot of movies. Movies probably the backbone of it. And then when I was young, I was exposed to live theater. They had a lot of great programs here. They had a lot of small independent theaters, many who which have fallen to the wayside. But a lot of programs were like with 10 bucks, I could scrounge up and get into like a Shakespeare show. And there was only 50 of us in the small rest in peace, the new theater and theaters like that. And by being exposed to that stuff, I understood how literature can come to life in a real setting. And I know that movies are like this generation, not this generation, probably the past hundred years or so, like our new theater so to speak, but there's something about being in the room with the person in live action that is incomparable. You know, it's different listening to an album, you know, on Spotify or or Apple Music than being there in the room at the concert and live theaters. Yeah. Seeing those stories come to life where I was able to understand those plays that we read in English classes. Like they don't make sense on a textbook. It doesn't make sense to read a play. It must be seen. So we do it from an academic perspective. But when I take those kids on their first play and some of them tell me, I would have never, you know, I would have never come to a live play. And I'm always worried how they're going to respond. Like if it's a Shakespeare play, is it going to be too old? Are they going to be too confused? You know, is it is it about a topic from another time, another place? But they always connect with it because they're there. They're transported to that place. It's it's almost like so Shakespeare's hard to read, right? For most people, I think. Um so if you're watching a show in Spanish, right, and you don't speak Spanish, but you're watching it 
and you're picking up on their mannerisms, you're like, maybe I don't know exactly what they're saying, but like the like the vibe over here, like I see the mannerisms, I see the connection, I see the like the uh, emotions that that they're like presenting. And you're like, I kind of I understand the story. So like it's kind of like that. If you're reading Shakespeare on paper, you're like, what? Mm-hmm. You go see it, and you see how they're acting, act, literally acting towards each other. And you can you follow along, and you're like, oh, that that means that. Okay, yeah. that and, means and that. And it just and it just clicks. And I and I tell them I tell them every year, um, don't worry, I don't understand what it says either. I'm I'm, I'm very fluent. I understand the language, but sometimes <laughs> there's pieces of the script where it's like, this is the eighth year that I've read this play in a row, and oh, that's what that means. Oh. <laughs> you know, because in, in yeah, reality, totally. yeah, it's a different time. It's a different place. I don't speak the language of that time. Yeah, but. But it, the stories that we tell, they're relevant and they they transcend time and place because the human experience, as wide and diverse as it is, it's singular. It doesn't matter where you come from, socioeconomically, um, nationality, geographically, or throughout time. At the end of the day, we all have to worry about many of the same things. We need we need to work to eat. We need to find. We want to find love. We need to find value in ourselves and we need to come to terms with the environment around us. Searching for MacGuffin. Yeah. Right? We're mm-hmm. searching for this. Like, so talk about your show. Like, I didn't know what a MacGuffin was the other day when we were talking about it until you right. articulated it. So let's talk about that. I kind of had this idea for a show and as times changed and technology changes, the format of it changed. It's like, is it a talk show? Is it a, but when podcast came, I was like, I can do this. I can talk because not that I'm uh, an eloquent speaker or that my voice is so important to be heard, but I do this. I engage in conversations daily with people and the MacGuffin is it's a film term. It's the thing in the script that, moves the action along think uh the briefcase in pulp fiction or the ark of the covenant in indiana jones those are some of the more cliche more obvious ones but my question that i had always asked is what is that thing that drives us forward what's the MacGuffin in our lives and in season one last year my goal was to like figure out what that was. We go through a lot of media. We go through TV, movies. We try to keep up with what's new, but we also look back at the things that kind of shaped us because like I said, a lot of this media, it shapes who we are. It's just like like the Greeks created plays to determine what their government and what their morality was going to be like. Our media, our music, it does that as well. And it's not just something that informs us, but it's also a mirror to ourselves because- it's a reflection of what our value systems are, right? We create we create something that represents our stories. And I wanted to explore that a little bit. And throughout season one, if someone goes back and listen to it, we're kind of looking for what that is. And I think by the end of season one, what we came to is that central idea was, we kept coming back to it over and over. It was hope. And I think a lot of the media that we consume, a lot of the, the movies, the music, the, the art forms, the books, that we read, it kept redirecting me to hope. So for season two, that was kind of our emphasis, finding the hope. And where do we find our hope? See, it's still a MacGuffin because it's still a question mark. For everyone, it's different. And what? Like you're even when you're just saying that, I'm like, and what is? Hope for what? Hope for what? Yeah. And I think what we have hope for and what drives us to have hope, what instills us 
to have hope, that's different per person for every individual. So we look at all these stories and we're like, what is driving the characters here? And why do we connect with it or don't connect with it, right? If I watch a movie, if I read a book and I'm like, yeah, that wasn't really for me. What was it? What was it that their story doesn't resonate with us? Or what is it about their story that does? And I think that once we start to understand the diversity in experiences, we reach that point of catharsis. And that's always a big thing that I'm always bringing up in my classes. I like preach it from freshman year. And then I still have obviously senior students who are like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you've had me multiple times. <laughs> But that idea of taking those emotions and expelling them mm. out by yeah. the end of that breaking point at the end of a story, we see ourselves or we learn from that which we had not been exposed to before. I don't know what that says about me, like in the fact that I'm obsessed with murder mysteries and psychological thrillers, but uh, <laughs> something you said about like, you know, these expelling of these emotions, um, you know, obviously like we've had so many conversations over the years and I know that you and I are similar in this ways that are, we have, we have big feelings, right? And those big feelings, like we, we touched on a little bit, it can be difficult at times. Um, do you think that it has made you a better teacher, especially with English lit and drama? I kind of live my life with the central idea of paradox, I think it make, has made a better one and it has made me a worse one. <laughs> and I think the same is true of being a person, big feelings. Big feelings are great if they can be redirected into a positive place. So am I sometimes too passionate, maybe too impatient, expecting too much change, uh, placing high expectations? I think perhaps And I think that that drives me to strive for better. But sometimes you just have to accept you can't do it all. But I do think that those being able to be open with oneself, with one's thoughts, and being able to accept, well, we're not always going to agree on everything. And that's okay because you have your story and your journey. And sometimes our roads will converge and sometimes those roads will divide. So like part of, you know, my brand when I talk about all the time is like, I like to call, I like to call it truth speaking and storytelling, you know, mm -hmm. and they kind of sound like two different things, like telling the truth, but telling a story. Right. Yeah. Um, but there is great power, I believe in storytelling. And you even touched on it when you were talking about your college professor and how that professor really brought the content to life, right. In a way that mm -hmm. he was able to like hit home with you. Let's talk about the power of storytelling? Well, I think story, that term itself, we look at lots of different things and we think of stories. Sometimes mm -hmm. when people hear story, they think something made up, right? right. Fairy tale, fiction. Yeah. Right. And they don't, or perhaps they haven't been exposed to the idea that I think everything that we speak is a story. The story of our lives are also stories. And they operate in the same way that fictional stories take place. Sometimes fiction is a great way to tell your story because it serves as an allegory. Sometimes it's too difficult to bear your all, you know, to stand in the audience of the universe and just be there unclothed, you know? So you kind of not hide, but interpret through, through narrative in a different way. And I think that these stories, they help us 
shape our stories. All of our lives, there's a truth to it and there's a reality objectively, but it requires interpretation from the individual. My life looks very different from the outside than it does from my perspective. And yeah, and I think we have to find a way to live with our story the way that we understand it. That doesn't mean creating some fictionalized version of it, but being able to listen to the commentary, the criticism of people who care for us, who love us and who support us and be able to internalize that. But at the end of the day, to objectively define what we understand as our narrative or our story, because our truth, our truth, even if it is objective, no one has all the answers. No one has all the facts. And it's also a work in progress. Well, as objective as you, as anybody wants to be, I think that like, there's, there's multiple perspectives that you can come at it from. Like, I remember, you know, discussing my childhood with, you know, my dad and, and, you know, other family members where I'm like, this is what I experienced. And people would flat out be like, that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I don't think it's like intentional gaslighting. I think it's that from their perspective, that's not how they saw it. Yeah. You mentioned murder mysteries earlier. Yeah. <laughs> You'll notice that that happens, right? We're trying to reconstruct right. the scene. Everyone mm-hmm. has a different version of it. Yes. They're not lying. They just experienced it in different ways. And yeah. until you're able to compile those together, compare, contrast, and understand what is real, what isn't, and what's subjective. What there's Sometimes there's not a right answer. Yeah. Sometimes both your perspectives are valid. And it's just the means of interpretation. Then we start to get a kind of fuller picture of what our experience is. So this is part of why I believe it's so important for people to like come to terms with their own realities. Right. And like really just it takes a lot of patience and practice and self reflection to come to a place where they can understand their journey, like their own journey, right. Mm -hmm. So that they can see how it's impacted them. Um, and also like it takes guts because it's really easy to have somebody else tell you how you experience something and you'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the truth. Like I remember something happened in my childhood and it was something that like everybody joked about. And so we, it was like a story we wound up telling for years. That was like a funny story. And it wasn't until much later that I was like, Oh, that, that shit was not that funny. Like that actually really affected me and impacted me in a really big Mm -hmm. way that I didn't get to address until I was an adult. Yeah. I think sometimes there's the, the trauma in our lives and we either downplay it. For me, it's like being sardonic, being, uh, I guess, you know, not self-loathing, but kind of self-deprecating, you know, to hide the real hurt and to hide the real, you know, doubt that's inside of you. But as you grow older, you start to kind of reshape and rethink and, The reality is that you understand a moment at 16 way differently than you do at 26 and 36. And I think telling your story sometimes requires revisions and edits, not to change, not to change what happened, but to change how you understand and inform who you are because your understanding grows. I'm working on like not letting my sobriety define me, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's for, for, you know, in April, I'll have three years of sobriety because consecutive sobriety. And I'm like, I identify so heavily as a sober woman. I'm like, but that's just part of a much larger picture. And I like, I'm not limiting myself to being just that and having that be like the, the MacGuffin of my story. It's not the only thing. Like there's multiple sometimes, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot in it. It's jam packed and be able to like revise my story. Like just, it's, I feel like you just gave me permission to do that. (laughs) 
And I think I actually, what I think a lot of my podcast is, is giving people permission. Yeah. To feel yeah. after do. We, we talked about, yeah, we talked about not feeling allowed to be who we are. Yeah. yeah. Many times it's us who does yeah. that. Yeah. We do that to ourselves. Yeah. We, you're not allowed to be who you are because you think you right. should be someone or something else. Totally. Yeah. Being able to recontextualize who you are. It's exactly like you said, we're a composite of influences. We're yeah. a composite of experiences and not just defining ourselves by being a mother, being a teacher, right. being whatever it is. I know right. you've alluded to it in the past. Something that I always told you, I want to be doing something different, you know, every 10 years. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, I, you know, I said that 10 years ago, I was a teacher. I'm still a teacher now, but I'm doing this as well. And doing this show is a new experience. And I don't know where those, where one road ends and another one veers off in another direction, but just being able to reevaluate your life constantly and not consider, and consider not putting all your eggs in one basket. Because unfortunately, tragedy strikes, the world changes like it did just a few years ago. Yeah. And the things that we do every day that we think define us, they just vanish. Going back to your podcast. Um, let's talk about your audience. Who is your audience? Okay. Well, I would love to say as I, that everyone is my audience, right? Right. But as I always tell the students, there's always a target audience, right? Yeah. So, um, I think it's, especially when you go through all the analytics and you look at who's actually listening, who's yeah. actually watching. <laughs> you go back end. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to say my show is open for anyone. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a lot of the people who grew up, you know, um, surrounded by these kind of stories and this kind of media, which is increasingly more and more people as time right. passes. When I was a kid, you were kind of like picked on and like pushed aside to for being into this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, you watch TV, you know, you, you, you collect figures, you whatever it is, you know. But uh, I think it's become mainstream. So I think that what audiences widen. I do the show with uh, a couple of younger people, you know, so I'm about to hit 40-ish soon, <laughs> not to age myself, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, I have co-hosts that are in their 20s and in their 30s. So I think that like 20 to 40 range, mm -hmm. um, I think it's our main audience. I think it's mostly guys, which is interesting to be on this show, right? Which I think yeah. your audience is mostly female, but it's mostly male just because again those societal expectations to kind of push guys it's okay to be into this kind of stuff right. it's okay to watch and 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 to tell <clears throat> and like to kind of shape part of your identity around these things um but i think anyone who has resonated with the stories that they've read and watched and listened to and internalized those and kind of defined who they are at least on some aspect again not in their entirety. I don't see myself as that's who I am. But anyone who connects with those kind of things, who's who's there on opening night, you know, who binges the season that yeah. first weekend. Right. Who gets that book right away and reads or listens to it, you know, within that first week. I think that's our audience. The one yeah. who they make the time to make this part of their lifestyle. So, okay. So you mentioned that the first season of Searching for MacGuffin was really about well, the way I interpreted it was that you're identifying what the MacGuffin is per film or whatever it is that you're talking mm -hmm. about on that episode, yeah. right? And then as you move into season two, you're looking at 
hope as a whole. Yeah. What's next what for I, the podcast in season two? In season two? Well, I think some of the things that we've discussed is season one was like, you know, I have a voice. I should get it out there. Yeah. And after hundreds of hours of audio, I think you come to the realization of like, maybe I shouldn't talk as much. You know, <laughs> I think I've exhausted every idea that I had. So for season two, it was like, okay, we found that MacGuffin. We found that we're in search of hope, um, especially in the new year. Um, many times we look for these kind of place markers in our life to reassess and evaluate and create new goals so we can be better people. So in this new season, it's like, let's go out there and let's find out what drives other people. So mm. we're looking at communicating with different people, getting their feedback, having them on the show. And even when it's just us, the host, just exploring, not just, okay, what's going on in this movie, in this show, in this animated series, but what's going on in us mm. in relation to it. So instead of, you know- Why does it going, hit? Exactly, why does it hit? Instead of going just, you know, an hour, on one piece of media, more using that as a backdrop to explore ourselves. Because what is the thing that's driving us in this direction? Rather than just the stories that we tell, how does it shape and inform our story? I feel like this comes full circle, George, because like in a lot of ways, like we have very, very different shows. Yeah. But I feel like we're doing something very similar. Absolutely. For our, our audience, our the people that we are catering our podcast to, you know, like yeah. I, yeah, I like to think that my, like my podcast is for everybody also. Like it's, it's obviously like geared towards women, my age ish, you mm -hmm. know, moms, people who are so might be sober curious, like whatever, like, but I think what we're doing is something again, like just very, very similar. And that's part of why I wanted to have you on the show and have like a really inspiring male voice bring something to light that is very much universal. I can't explain how many times I've listened to an episode of your show and then sent it to someone who's not in the target audience. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you need to understand this for yourself. Or you need I'm to understand yeah, you need to understand this like in your relationship with your mother, with your sister, wow, with right. your wife, you know, because it's been illuminating to me. And even like you said, um, the times that I've listened to an idea and I'm like, I want to talk about that on my show yeah. in my way, in my relationship. Yeah. It might not be exactly what you're talking about, but it's exactly <laughs> what I, you know, what I'm thinking about talking about. Because like I said, those, those experiences are universal. The details change from person to person, but we go through so much love, loss, hope, death, whatever it is that we struggle with. Those are the things that we have to talk our way through them. And it informs not just your show to my show, everyone's show, but it also informs our experience and our connections in, in other facets of our lives. Mm -hmm. Like doing this show, even if you know it's something I'm not doing in five years or it pivots to something else, I've already become better at my day job as a teacher mm -hmm. because we have this thing called the honors projects, right? And they used to be book reports. Now they're world building in a video game or they're creating a podcast series throughout the year. And now I understand that process more and more because I've experienced it. So I can be like, this is how you do it. Or if you have any questions, either I know the answer or I'll find the answer for you yeah. and I'll grow in that experience as well. And I have students who have written an entire book 
over the course of a year as their honors project who have built a game world who have had a continuing series of their own podcast published and they walk out with something that they've created their story they've put it out in the world and it's there now and that's an opportunity that i didn't have growing up Mm -hmm. that i would have loved to and to be able to have someone motivate us if i can say that or Mm -hmm. Or at least require you for your grade <laughs> to <laughs> right. do that. Um, I think I think it's a fantastic op- opportunity. Well, George, thank you so much. I mean, this has been so awesome. I'm so grateful that I get to share you with everybody, like you and your wife Gisela, who I also love. I mentioned her in in um, my intro of you that you guys are a powerhouse duo. You know, flip flopping Teacher of the Year awards <laughs> at your school. You know, it's just it's an honor to know you both, and I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to have you on my show. Thank you so much for for having me, and and yeah, she's the strength that helps me get up in the morning when I'm like I'm not gonna do it. I'm qu- I'm gonna quit everything. She drags me out of bed and gives me that motivation. Um, thank you so much for for having me on. Thank you for giving me this opportunity, and I look forward to uh, returning the experience very soon. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The No. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The No with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.